Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Naz Beheshti. She's the author of Pause, Breathe, Choose, Become the CEO of Your Well-Being. She's an executive wellness coach, speaker, Forbes contributor and CEO and founder of Prananaz, a corporate wellness company improving leadership effectiveness, employee engagement and well-being, company culture, and business outcomes. Welcome to the podcast, Naz. I'm delighted to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me today. So one of the stories that you tell and and refer to a few times in the book is that you had an experience of being hired by and working with Steve Jobs. And he had this philosophy of never settle for less, no matter what obstacles you face. And you have adopted that. So how do you make that work in the larger sense? Because there's changing priorities, decisions about where to put your energy, compromising, how do you how do you put that philosophy into effect? Well, I always I'm very goal oriented. So I have a goal. And even though the goal may um, face obstacles, and I may face challenges in achieving that goal, it doesn't mean that I need to change the goal, but it may it may mean that I need to change my approach to the goal. So hmm. I always uh, keep the goal in mind and I just alter my approach if there is something that um, is challenging or there's an obstacle so that I can eventually achieve that goal without settling or compromising it. Hmm. Well, it, it really speaks to something you talk about later in your book, um, the pause, breathe, choose um, where you talk about uh, the three P's and you mention purpose. And that's something I'm deeply interested in because it's, of course, very much related to impact and how you choose to contribute in the world. So um, are your, do you, when you do goal setting, you said you're very goal oriented. When you do goal setting, are you doing it in a framework of purpose or is that something that evolves out of goals you set for other reasons? How does it work for you? Absolutely. I mean, purpose is, you know, my life's mission, as well as my, you know, smaller scale daily intentions. Hmm. And so that's always in mind when I'm creating my goals, because everything always um, eventually comes down to creating meaningful impact. And, you know, helping be the change that I want to see in the world and being that change. So whatever that is in terms of how I uh, set my goals, that's always in, in my mind because the end goal is to uh, make meaningful impact. 
Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. That's uh, that's a really great way to do that and make sure that you're keeping that in mind because it's so easy to, do you find this too? Like it's so easy to get off track if you're not focused on that. Oh, absolutely. With all the distractions in our everyday life and in the world. Absolutely. It's so easy to just get sidetracked or go off in a tangent or have someone else come to you with like, you know, some great project or idea that they want you to be a part of and that will take you away from your primary goal. It's really um, critical to stay laser focused in what you want to achieve, because Mm -hmm. you could be pulled in so many different directions at any given time. So it's always coming back to that purpose to that goal. Yeah. And little things like pandemics happen. So absolutely. <laughs> little things like pandemics. Exactly. <laughs> has the has a pandemic shifted your business at all or even your perspective on some of the things you wrote in the book? Well, the things that I wrote in the book really apply even more so with the pandemic because mm-hmm. It's about building that resilience and adapting to that change and, you know, creating that new normal. And we are all faced, we like the whole world was going through similar experiences with this pandemic. So in a way we were all united and felt um, some union. And when we are able to take care of ourselves and know the extremity of such a you know, global pandemic, then we can, you know, apply our best selves to um, being able to optimize what we're, you know, facing and, and address that challenge as not a threat, but as an opportunity to adapt and evolve. Yeah, I really like that you're bringing in that sense of your best self. And sometimes that can get lost in the moment when there's conflict or upheaval. And mm-hmm. um, that's, I think, an important thing to for people to keep in mind. So you've, you've referred to change a few times, and I, I'd really like to delve into that more because it's so much a part of um, an entrepreneur's life. And um all of our lives, really, when we're open to it. And it what often makes that so difficult is our mindset, how we're thinking about change. How, how, do you, how can you upgrade your mindset with respect to change? How can you invite it, bring it more into your, uh, bring acceptance to it so that you can move into it more easily? Well, that's a great question because some people invite and love change and thrive off of change Mm because they don't like, you know, the routines or the same thing every single day. And so they invite change. There are people who like the routines and are creatures of habit, like myself, who, you know, have a harder time with change whether it's positive change or negative change, it's a change. So there's so many, you know, different ways of handling it. But when I'm talking about an upgraded mindset to change, that's, that's more in terms of something that you don't want to happen either, whether it's a negative or positive change. Like I said, it could be positive, but some people just don't like change to begin with because it's harder to adapt, even if it is positive. Mm-hmm. But um, when we can see the positive out of the change, 
whether it's like, you know, trying to challenge yourself and say, you know, what, what is the positive that could happen or will happen uh, as a result of this change? And then your mind, your inner critic might say, there is no positive. I don't want this to change. I like, <laughs> I like how things are. Make I don't it need stop. it to change. Yes, exactly. Make it stop. <laughs> I don't want change. Well, then, you know, I challenge the inner critic to be like, well, what if you couldn't say that? What if you couldn't say, I don't want it to change or it, it can't change? but that it is going to change. So accept that change and what good will come out of it because there, there is always something good that could come out of it if you look through that lens. But if you're constantly looking through the lens of, no, this isn't good and I'm not happy the way it is, then it's really hard to shift that mindset because you're just focused on the negative rather mm-hmm. than bringing some positive to the forefront. And creating positive, if there isn't positive, creating it and saying, okay, I'm going to choose to see this change as a positive way for me to fill in the blank to, to um, challenge my, um, you know, patience, challenge my um, adventure spirit, adventure spirit, challenge my spontaneity, whatever it is, depending on the context of the situation. It, it's a opportunity to challenge and grow and stretch yourself, step outside of your comfort zone. Hmm. Well, and you also, you also talk about embracing change by adopting an attitude of an agile mind and mm-hmm. uh, questioning your thoughts and words. And I would think that's really tied to creativity and innovation as well, if you can adopt that approach. Absolutely. Because if you're stuck in your own way and always doing the same thing over and over and you're not willing to adapt or be agile, and then how does creativity flourish if you're just stuck doing the exact same thing every day and not willing to expand, you know, your um, behaviors, your experiences, your mindset, all of the above, how are you able to then... um, you know, face change with a new mindset. Like that's really what mindfulness is about is like being in the present moment and being mindful of, of that moment without judgment. And, and then, you know, when you're able to be mindful in that moment, um, you're not worried about the past or the future you're in, in the moment. Right. And so then you can also um, quiet the mind and really tap into that moment and what your heart's truest desires are, which also promotes creativity. Well, and you talk about mindfulness, uh, uh, two mindfulness practices that come to mind at the moment from your book are uh, breath work and meditation. Mm-hmm. So I know meditation has sort of taken on a, a larger role within even large companies. There's meditation uh, teaching and uh, sessions sometimes within large companies. And um, so, and I know personally, that's really valuable. And breath work, I'm not sure as many people know about that. Is that your experience too? And, and if it is, can you expand on it a little bit? Yeah, well, my breath work experience came through my yoga practice. So mm-hmm. vinyasa mm-hmm. yoga is um, the synchronicity of your breath and movement. So mm-hmm. 
when every movement you breathe and connect it with the next movement. So it's very rhythmic and dynamic in nature. And Mm -hmm. for me, that is a moving meditation because I'm so focused in the present moment on my breath with each movement. And you're absolutely right about, you know, organizations and just kind of the mainstream knows uh, meditation, but meditation and breath work go hand in hand. And there are mm-hmm. meditations that are focused solely on your breath. So mm-hmm. it's really um, a big part of mindfulness, a mindfulness practice, and also just helps you um, just the fact that you're getting more oxygen to the brain and it relaxes you and calms you is really beneficial to your body and your mind. Mm-hmm both yeah i i find that coordinating breath and movement in my own yoga practice is one of the most challenging things for whatever reason but i i also know that when i notice that my breath has become shallow if i'm nervous or anxious about something say i'm about to go into a presentation if i focus on my breath and breathe deeply i can transform that anxiety into kind of a grounded excitement. It's it's the most amazing thing. And in the shortest period of time too. Absolutely. I mean, my whole pause, breathe, choose method is based on that breath. I mean, pausing stems from, you know, being mindful enough to know to pause, because if not, we're just on autopilot and we are continue to be in that state, like you said before, a presentation or meeting, if you're you know, nervous, or you're breathing shallow, if you're not mindful, you won't know, um, be aware enough to know that you're even breathing shallow or nervous or stressed. So then you won't know to take that pause. So that pause is that first step of mindfulness. And then the breath is key, because like you said, it completely has the power, it's so powerful to a reengage you into the present moment. um, And then b to um, calm you, like literally calm you down and turn those shallow breaths into deep breaths. And it just makes you feel so good. I mean, I sometimes when I'm stressed, I just when I have just a, you know, nanosecond, I just take a quick pause and I take such a deep inhale and exhale it out with like an audible sound like, <sighs> like that and mm-hmm. oh, like exaggerate it. And I just feel so good. It's just like such a release. And then you can choose more wisely. You could choose to turn that nervousness into excitement. Like you said, you can choose to, you know, proceed in a, you know, more wise, better way. Right. Cause then it mm-hmm. all depends on the choices you make after you're mindful and grounded and centered and engaged. Yeah. in the present moment. So helpful. And I mean, that's such a good practice. And it's great that you're teaching that in companies to bring people to the awareness of that. Because there's there's often, in my experience, both working in a corporate setting and having clients in a corporate setting, that there's this constant motion. Mm-hmm. There's not really room for pause unless you just intentionally do that yourself. So that's, yeah, that's really valuable. Um, I, there's something you said in the book that really struck me. Um, it was around unexpected versus conscious catalysts for change. And I've experienced both. And 
I can tell you that when I introduce a conscious catalyst, um, some amazing growth has come out of that. It's come out of, of unexpected change as well. But um, what are your thoughts around how you can build in more or at least be open to more opportunities for conscious change, conscious catalysts for change, even if you feel like, I don't know about this change thing, I'm not that keen. So, hmm. yeah, well, you know, it depends on kind of what, what outcome you want. Is it to, you know, um, take explorative action to get outside of your comfort zone so you can, you know, find your purpose or passion, or is it because you're bored and you just want something, you know, to feel alive again? You know, what, what is the outcome of, um, you know, the, of the change? Like for me, it was, I needed something to change because I was not feeling fulfilled and I needed to find my passion and purpose. So, mm. you know, my conscious, um, my conscious catalyst was a trip to India, to the yoga capital of the world and wanted to create, you know, go into a different environment, push my limits, get outside of my comfort zone, traveling for six months alone in a country I was not familiar with, didn't know anyone. And so that was my conscious catalyst. And that's like on a bigger scale, not everyone can just leave work or, you know, leave mm -hmm. their life for six weeks. So, sure. so there's, you know, the, the smaller catalyst that you could take, whether it's, you know, just trying something new, challenging yourself with some learning something new, whether it's, um, a language or taking a short trip, like a weekend getaway somewhere, getting out in nature and doing, you know, some challenging hike or whatever it is to get you out of your regular routine to, to explore whatever your intention is, whether it's a new thought process, whether you're trying to create something new or connect the dots of something that, you know, could transpire into a new business idea or, um, you know, you're writing and have writer's block and you want to just get a fresh perspective, like get out, create a conscious, you know, catalyst for change so that you could come back with a re refreshed and rejuvenated mind that is able to connect different dots because creativity in the end is about connecting dots that maybe other people haven't connected yet. Right. And mm -hmm. so, when you have a, you know, clarity of mind and a different perspective and wide perspective, you're able to, and, and lots of exposure to different things. I think diversity is uh, really promotes creativity as well. Then yeah. you're able to, um, you know, tap into that creative state more fluidly, you know, more effortlessly. And I think also meditation is very, um, you know, very good in terms of helping that state because you're quieting that chatter and inner critic and basically quieting your mind and listening to your heart going deep and um, quieting everything so that new ideas can flourish. Yeah, I'm rereading for, I don't know, the umpteenth time, Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul. And he does such a great job of explaining how you are not your thoughts, which are constant and continually roaming around. If you can tap into something deeper, then you can come at uh, a situation in a different way. 
So, so true. Cause you know, your thoughts could get the best of you and your mm. inner critic can take over and, you know, really get the best of you in terms of, you know, covering and shielding your authentic self because you become then insecure and start listening to your inner critic when actually your truest authentic self knows best. And, and as long as you're able to listen to it and hear it and um, take action on what your true, true self wants and, you know, desires, then you're able to then um, tap into a deeper place than your mind. Yeah. Well, something you said in the book uh, was organizations that learn to self-correct improve their agility and increase their resilience. And it's something that I talked about recently with Kevin Scherer, who used to be the CEO and chair of Amgen, uh, the largest biotech company in the world. Mm -hmm. And they intentionally made a shift in uh, reworking their operations in anticipation of further growth rather than just relentlessly pursuing growth. So that kind of self-correction really uh, allowed them to flourish when once once there were growth opportunities. So how uh, do you think that individuals need to self-correct or is, do you see the organization as in itself an organic kind of entity that can be self-correcting? I think it goes hand in hand. They're both together. One can't survive without the other, right? Sure. Yeah. So both need to self-correct and that takes mindfulness. That's a mindful organization. And it really would behoove the organization and its people to be mindful and self-correct in terms of um, achieving more success and more effortlessly, right? When you're being proactive. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you did a, a book launch event recently with BJ Fogg, who developed a model for persuasion that's been pretty influential. He also wrote a book called Tiny Habits. And your book involves a lot of habit change, really. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And what are some things from your work to that help people make those changes? Because habits can get ingrained, and it's tougher to um, shift. And that happens. Right. I mean, one of the seven A's is adopt a healthy lifestyle, right? So mm. healthy lifestyle involves, you know, habits and, and sticking with consistency of, you know, exercising, eating well, working out um, regularly, um, meditation. And, and then there's, those are like habits of behavior, but I also talk about habits of mind, right? So upgrading your mindset is is a habit that you know whenever you're exposed or feeling like you know the inner critic is taking over a habit would be to recognize that and to switch off that inner critic and focus instead on the inner coach so habits of mind habits of behavior are critical in living your best life so it's not just behavior but also your, your mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I know you talk at, at one point about karoshi, which is a Japanese word for death by overwork. And it's been, you know, much publicized in Japan, but it frankly happens in every 
developed country, I think. Right. And, uh, one thing I was struck by is that you said you talked about limiting after hours communication and it, it seems so straightforward, but it's not something that's really done. I, I was just at a dinner on the weekend and there were a couple of young people there. And I said, when uh, voicemail came in when I was in a corporate job, we were all horrified because before that, at least when you went home or you were traveling, you didn't have to deal with constant invitations to get involved in things or respond. You could kind of be a bit separate from it. So uh, they, they of course, had never experienced that, but it's, it's so valuable to just be able to step away it is. And that's why I love uh, the new French law that bans yeah. communication after 7 p.m., between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. Now, for global companies with time changes or yeah. time differences, that doesn't always work. It's not sure. ideal, but they can still make exceptions and, and make it work for them, right? And just adapt to the, to the time change. Mm -hmm. But it is really important to have... Um, your mind and body have a break from work, right? Right now, especially with the pandemic, everything is blurred. There are, you know, the yeah. work-life um, boundaries have been blurred into one sure. since we're working from home. But it's really critical to be able to unplug and just have time for yourself, have time for your loved ones, you know, without being interrupted, by work. And so that's something that talking about habits is in our control. If, you know, the company or our colleagues or whoever is reaching out continuously, that's okay. Let them, but it, it's our responsibility as individuals to not look at the phone or computer. And most importantly, if we do take a peek, don't respond, right? Because, <laughs> because then we just get stuck in this perpetual, you know, loop of like, okay, I responded to that, let me just respond to this. And some yeah, people exactly. like, I know my clients who say, well, it just makes me feel better to respond right away, because then I don't have to think about it, which I understand that because I'd rather sometimes respond in the evening, um, so that the next day I can, you know, wake up to a cleaner, well, it's not never empty, but like to, <laughs> to less emails than I would right. if I, you know, just responded, but then it's, it's about habit. And then you're creating these habits that you're just letting your incoming mail and incoming notifications control you rather than you control them. So right. creating those boundaries is essential to well-being and to your rest and recovery time. Mm -hmm. Well, and play is an important aspect of that too. You, you talk about uh, being a playful entrepreneur. And I love that, that recognition that playing around with ideas and innovating and being creative, that's part of work as well. It isn't all about you have to physically leave and go to another country even in order to escape uh, or, or to relieve some stress. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Play is essential as well. I mean, for kids, that's all people, all kids do is play. Right. So right. why, when we get older, why should we stop playing? I mean, it's so fun. It's, you know, it's it promotes creativity, innovation, and it's a form of, you know, 
restful relaxation in an active way rather than like, you know, resting and taking a nap or sleeping, but it's, it's an unstructured way to, um, to promote something that like, basically when we're in our day, we're in a structured focused state of being, you know, goal oriented. When we're playing, we're in an unstructured state of being without any um, attachment to an outcome, right? We're not goal oriented. Like we're going to play because we need to achieve this. No, we're playing to let go and just have fun. We're just playing. Right. Like it's not for a specific desired outcome. So uh -huh. it's really essential for us to just let go. And it's a form of rest and recovery and, and it's a fun form of rest and recovery. Yeah. And you tell a great story about Steve Jobs and not being able to find the guy in the course of the day. And it turns out he's off playing with his his uh, gadgets. I, yeah. I've forgotten the word you used. But... His toys. His, yeah. The prototypes were his toys. Yes. Right. He loved that. That was like his favorite, favorite time of day that um, or part of the week that he would escape to play with his toys. I mean, he was passionate about building Apple and, and the company and then the toys were everything. I mean, that was his innovation helping with um, the vision of the products of Apple. Right. Yeah. Well, and obviously very successful at it. So, yes. So you talk about uh, stress, which we've touched on a few times, but stress as positive energy to be harnessed. And I know you, you have um, the ACE method, which I'll, I'll let you explain about understanding stress, but how does that tie in with the energy to be harnessed viewpoint? Well, the good stress, which is, acute, I mean, eustress uh, is, is really that positive stress. So when you were talking earlier about walking into a presentation and you were nervous, but you were able to shift those nerves into excitement, that's exactly what eustress is, is that excitement that is a positive stress that's going to promote motivation and to get you through that moment, um, through that presentation in a good way, rather than uh, chronic stress, which is a longer, long-term stress characterized by helplessness and hopelessness and unresolved issues that can eventually lead to disease and, you know, even death, karoshi, right? So we want mm -hmm. to avoid the long-term dangerous stress of chronic stress and harness the positive stress of you stress and even acute stress, which is a short-term necessary stress. So, you know, toggling between acute and you stress is, is positive and needed, desirable, and avoiding the trap of uh, chronic stress is really the ACE method. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's kind of an ongoing issue in organizations, I think. So it's great that the work you're doing is really addressing that within companies and bringing the awareness of it, both the awareness of it and some concrete things you can do to, to uh, manage that and, and reduce the not good stress. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the seven A's, you know, in part two are really upgraded mindsets and behaviors to manage stress and build resilience so that you can make better choices and create the, you know, good habits um, for living your best life, essentially. Mm -hmm. 
Well, so another thing we've talked, touched on mindfulness, but they, we haven't talked about mindful communication and really great leaders are great communicators. And how can we help develop? Well, first of all, what's different about mindful communication? And then how can we develop that so we're better at it? And we can even shift stressful situations with that kind of communication. Well, mindful communication starts from within. So creating your own mindfulness practice, your own self-awareness so that A, you can communicate more effectively, um, being in touch with what it is that your truest desires and needs and goals to be able to communicate that effectively. Then it moves outwards uh, for social awareness to see how your communication is being received and who is your audience because everybody uh, resonates you know differently whether it's uh, receives information differently and resonates um, either with more audible or visual communication or um, kinesthetic feeling feeling the communication and so in my nlp training neuro-linguistic programming training uh, where we talk about um, and learn building a rapport. It, it's all about communication. And that's communication that, like I said, starts from within. And that's even communicating to yourself and building that connection with yourself and then stretching outwards to other people. And the way to start building that communicating effectively um, with others is, well, with yourself is through a mindfulness practice. And then with others, it's being, you know, with using that mindfulness practice to be mindful of how other people communicate, the words they use, their body language, and using that to your advantage to get your message across so that you're communicating on the same page, like you're aligned in your communication. For example, when I use the word resonate, right? I, or I say, um, I view things in a certain way. So that would tell the communicator that I, by using resonate, that's hearing, I, I listen for things and view, that means I'm visual. So using, listening and being mindful of the words people use, and then um, repeating that back to them and using their same language will enable a deeper connection because the person receiving your communication will feel that you are understanding them better. And there's a tighter connection between the two of you rather than, you know, them being, you know, a visual communicator and you're just talking about, you know, just like things about listening or you're just sharing um, through your words rather than a presentation, for example. Mm. Yeah, and that's related to different learning styles like uh, auditory, visual, kinesthetic. Exactly. Um, yeah, I hadn't heard it applied to communication before. I really like that. Yeah, it, it applies to your words too. And, and that's why I love neuro-linguistic programming because all of from, you know, body language to your body language and the words you use, it's all really impactful when you're communicating. Yeah. 
something you said in the book, uh, and I think it's so true, and that is we prioritize doing well over being well. So how do we go about cultivating a culture of wellness in our organizations? Hmm. How much time? Big question. Have? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Maybe pick a couple of things. <laughs> well, first is, and that's what my company Pranana's does, is to implement a tailored corporate wellness or employee well-being program, so that you can, you know, support the employees with their well-being and in turn helps with performance, productivity, and it's a win-win situation because you'll have a culture of well-being and, um, you know, a successful company at the same time. So employee well-being is number one and foremost, but it's not just any employee well-being program because there's so many different types sure. and there's no standard yeah. Um, but it's really the key is to be really tailored to the company's um, demographics, to the existing culture, and understanding also what is their wellness outcome and definition. Because some people think that uh, corporate wellness or uh, employee well-being just means, you know, uh, a gym membership, a discounted gym membership or a gym membership for their employees and, you know, some vegetables in the break room or kitchen, you know, <laughs> and that's it. Just check marking right. the box or, you know, an annual health fair, you know, all great places to start, but it's a lot more than that. And it's really about creating that holistic approach to well-being and taking into account the employees and culture, company cultures all areas, like not just, you know, fitness and nutrition, but relationships, you know, um, learning and growth, personal and professional growth. Um, and then of course, on top of that, the, you know, exercise, nutrition, but a sense of purpose, satisfaction, job satisfaction, all of that is part of, you know, a culture of wellness and well-being because it's all integrated. And so taking into account a holistic approach is, is key. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned relationships. I mean, this, this, our conversation could have gone in all kinds of different directions. So people will have to have to get the book to get the full, the full story, but that's a whole other realm of, of uh, how you're building relationships within the within a company, but I, I wanted to end uh, with a last question about something that I think is really uh, poignant for people. And that is uh, you talk about the three P's in the last part of your book, pain, prana, and purpose. And you, you talk about prana and you stress being in the flow and how that leads to high performance. So I'd love to hear some about how do you unblock pr your prana when that is, is something that's being inhibited? Well, Prana is for people who don't know is Sanskrit for uh, breath and life force. And when we become anxious, irritable, stressed, you know, depressed, any negative state can impact that prana and, and kind of constrict it. So a good example that came up earlier in this conversation, for example, 
is when we're in a yoga pose or if we're about to go do um, a presentation and our, our um, breath becomes constricted and like mm. it's very becomes shallow or constricted when you're in a hard pose and you kind of stop breathing because you're trying to get into this difficult pose. Right. And that's really a metaphor for life being, you know, um, faced with challenges and you just suddenly kind of stop in your tracks and where do I go next? So it's about releasing that energy and um, and mindset around the stressors, around the fears or uncertainties, whatever it is that's blocking that prana state, releasing that and kind of embracing it in a way that you surrender and um, and really address those stresses and challenges as an opportunity and reframe it so that the tension and energy around it loosens up and there is like more of a flow around it and it's no longer constricted. So shifting a shallow breath to a deep breath, for example, like Mm. Be mindful of that shallow breath and then saying to yourself, I'm going to choose, pause, and breathe more and choose to actually make that next breath come from my belly instead of my chest and open up that prana flow more. Uh, So it's just about shifting again, that mindset and creating opportunity out of situations. Yeah. Well, and it captures the title of the book really well, pause, breathe and choose. So that's a, it's a great example of that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Naz, I always uh, wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you, are you ready? Sure. What are they? Bring them on. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Wow. <laughs> I, you almost took my breath away. The first thing, <laughs> the first thing I think of is how fulfilled I am when there's impact and I see and feel and hear change with my clients, whether they're individuals Mm -hmm. that I'm coaching and companies. And so when impact is made, it is extremely fulfilling and rewarding on all levels. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It's, it's a big motivator for looking at your work in that way. So um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. The sec. The second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? My morning routine that is non-negotiable. It's Mm. uh, rise, pee, meditate, and move. (laughs) (laughs) And and talking about tiny habits, I attached it to a routine, which which is what I do first thing in the morning. And, Uh. And so my meditation practice and my movement are what sets me on the right trajectory for the day and for my life. Because without that, I, there are days I could feel completely, you know, stressed and burnt out, but it's just amazing what meditation and movement does for me. Yeah. It's so, so valuable. And what a great discipline to just have that. That's what you do. First thing you get up, just like we brush our teeth and we do the morning routine. So RPM, RPM method. Right. Try it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, the last question is, what's one insight or piece of advice you'd share with another entrepreneur who's saying, I want to have more impact? How can I do that? What would you say? 
Great question. I would say follow your heart and do what you truly believe is great work. And that's what Steve Jobs said is, you know, to do great work is to um, love what you do. And so, you know, follow your heart and do what you love because that will create impact and make a change and difference. Mm. Uh, It's a great way to wrap up this interview. And Naz, thank you so much for being here and for sharing the perspectives on how we can create more of an environment of wellness, not only in our organizations, but within ourselves. And this is going to be so valuable for people to hear. So thanks so much for sharing that today. Thank you so much. The pleasure was all mine, Ursula. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? They can reach out to me via my website, nazbeheshti.com. And then also my corporate wellness site is prananaz.com, P-R-A-N-A-N-A-Z.com. And then I'm on all social media as Naz Beheshti on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. And then on Facebook, I'm Naz Beheshti Speaker. And then I'm also on Clubhouse as Naz Beheshti. Okay. Ah, you're the first person to mention Clubhouse in one of these interviews. That's great. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. I love it. Platform. That's great. Well, Naz, thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Join me for more episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and help us spread the word. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. To discover more about your impact, schedule a business impact assessment one-on-one with me, 60 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Go to workalchemy.com BIA to schedule your business impact assessment. This podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Tuscarora, Catawba, and Waccamaw Sioux and people. 